0: 2008, August of 2008, Uh, something happened in our family that changed everything in a very good way. Um, At 10.14 a.m. on that morning, uh, we we were blessed with James Howell Owen. Actually, we were blessed with a baby boy. And at about 10.18, after studying his perfect little face for four minutes, we... Named him James Howell Owen, and um, yeah, eight eight two thousand eight, eight eight zero eight is when he was born. I love our boy so much, and our lives were changed forever for the better. But it was changed quite a bit. I mean, we had been married since for almost five years, and the moment he was born, we went from being free to do whatever we pleased. We could still do whatever we pleased, but we had to make a plan now, every time. And you know what I mean if you've been around children. But we've been glad to make those plans, for sure. And I hope you get to know Howell if you haven't already. He's a good dude. Something else happened that month of that year Um, that was significant as well. Um, (laughs) I, I got my first one of these. Called an iPhone. I've been an iPhone uh, uh, bearer ever since. And I'm not sure, I'm sad to say, which of those things has affected my life more. And I don't know what to say about that. I'm just being real with you. Not saying it's bad necessarily just drawing our attention to it. And as your pastor, over the next two weeks, we're call, I'm called to talk about technology and how that affects our mind today and how it affects our habits next week. And it sure does. It sure does. And we're on this journey together trying to find our way in a world that so often lost its way. And technology is one of the most important apparent parts of our journey. In many ways, it is dictating our journey here on earth. So it's important that we draw our own attention to it and consider it through the eyes as much as we can of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a big part of my job to help us do that together. And it's also a part of your job, as a part of this faith family, to help one another do it well, and we'll get back to that. This morning, Howell uh, Leslie Ann called me because Howell doesn't have a phone yet. He would tell you that he doesn't. Um, and he, so Leslie Ann called me. I was already here at, at the office and at church, and. Um, He said, hey, this is Howell. It's always good to hear from Howell. And I thought maybe he was calling because I didn't see him this morning. I did see you, but I didn't get to talk to you. And he was going to encourage me and tell me, you know, he's praying for me or can't wait to to see me at church. And he says, Dad, what's the Wi-Fi password? (laughs) Important as well. Here's the deal. As someone, I confess to you, who is prone to worry, and I am, which if you think about it, worry is the opposite of prayer for us as Christians. Really beautifully detailed, Susan, by your story, how you chose to, took you three times maybe, but how you chose to demonstrate what prayer can look like when worry is is, is the other option really beautiful story. We could all, I hope, fill in that with our own story where we've seen worry come in the way of a time where we need to cast our cares upon God because God cares for us and knows us. And we put our trust in him because he will direct our paths I know that we need to be aware of just how much is coming at us every day. That's so important that there's probably a portion of e- each half hour I spend with you this week in this context. It needs to be devoted to, to that, to drawing our attention to, to what culture is around us and how it so easily affects us. Because I say this, I've said this often during this series, we're not calling us to to. Remove ourselves from it. Just the opposite. We are called to be here in the world, yet not of the world. We're going to be in Philippians 4 today. Now we'll look at verse 8 first, and we'll get to the larger text in a a moment. But look at what Paul says here with me in verse 8. Finally, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Everything Paul lists here about what we should think on runs directly counter to what the modern media would have us fix our minds on. Now, before I go any further, I'm not anti-press at all. I trust the media is in good faith trying to tell us the story of what is going on. Around us. Sure, that falls short sometimes. We've seen evidence of that recently. But I'm not up here crying fake news. I do want us to see, though, what the story is that's being presented to us first and foremost. It's the opposite of what Paul is drawing us, calling us to fix our minds on here. Any news feed, is filled first and foremost, with that which is dishonorable, that which is ugly, that which is not excellent, that which is not commendable. This is what floods our news feeds. This is what the mediums are constantly working to figure out how to better situate in front of us so that they can control, you know, dictate our behavior, to be honest. And that Needs our attention, have you heard of dataism i hadn 't until this week, at least that term, but it 's the idea that authority is invested in data data, and given enough data and given enough computing power, amazon Facebook, Google can create an algorithm that knows us better than we know ourselves. Woo An example of this was given by a gentleman named Yuval. No- Noah, an author, really sharp guy, and he was talking about how our books are transitioning to this, we're in this era where our books actually read us rather than vice versa. They can read us better than we read them. Kindle, through Amazon, knows which pages you read slowly, which pages you read quickly, which pages, which pages you stop on. And then come back to later. The next stage, which I understand we've already moved into, is called, is is this stage of face recognition software. Where Kindle can look at you while you're reading the book. And see what areas cause you to become sad or glad or angry or fill in the blank. The next step, which I understand we're not too far away from, is to connect Kindle with our bodies. Our blood pressure our brain activity, and then Kindle can know your immediate emotional response to that which you are reading and learning. Based on such information, Amazon can recommend anything to us based on what they know about us. They can suggest to us what to buy, who to vote for, fill in the blank. Understanding how we feel and why we feel the way we feel. This is where we're heading. Perhaps we're already there. It is a fast-paced world that is media and image-driven, and let's be honest, it's money-driven. Our well-being, our privacy, our protection is secondary far too often to the money that's being made by those that control the information. Just how, just how, just think about how much of our lives happen in the palm of our hand these days. Banking. I do it right here. You know what? I miss the bank tellers. If you're a bank teller in the congregation, I don't know that we have any. I assume we do. I, I don't know who you see anymore. And that's sad. Grocery shopping. Certainly saves time to do the, you know, the mobile... Shopping, but will my children ever know the joy of wandering around the grocery store as I have so many times, wondering where in the world is whatever I'm looking for? It does help to not have to grocery shop with a two-year-old, though, right, sweetheart? Retail shopping. Do we do we need the mall in our hands? Something that's I don't know how important I try to steer away from a bunch of sports analogies, but fantasy sports has fundamentally changed the way we go about rooting for our, our teams. Um, and it's also very you know, connected with gambling and, and the, the dangers there. I knew that I needed to step away from fantasy football when I was checking my roster seconds before I stepped into the pulpit. That was a few years ago, and I have not played fantasy football since. How about dinner plans? How about how quick it is, easy it is for us to just log in and have somebody deliver food to our door? How about our friendships? Think about your most meaningful conversations with those who you love. Are they digital? Can they be? And the kicker is that this phone is constantly listening to us. Do you know this? You probably do. But I, I wasn't aware of this until not too long ago. And you know what really solidified it for me is I listened to a certain sh- music streaming um, you know, app. And they do this top songs of 2018 feature, which was cool. Like the songs you listened to the most all last year. And you, you can play that, that list. I was listening to it and then I realized they're playing songs that I recognize and that I like, but that I know I have never looked up, clicked on. And I realized they were playing songs from my spin class because my phone is in the room when I'm in there, kind of pathetically riding on the bike that doesn't go anywhere. (laughs) It's listening to those songs. And then telling me that they're my favorite songs. No, I'm sorry, Spotify. I've never looked that one up. A few uh, results of this that I want to draw our attention to before we dive back into the text. What this might cost us. I think we're losing the ability to be bored. And the value there. Some of the greatest Thought experiments and, and, and creations have occurred from just somebody sitting there with nothing to do. Now, I'm not sure that we treat nothing to do like we used to. And I think it might not be as in that particular case. And I'm not trying to steer us away from technology. But we need to be bored some. We need to twiddle our thumbs some. I think that's room for the Holy Spirit. Second, we're not as adept at making and keeping commitments. Now, this really started with the revolutionary uh, text message device, whatever, when we started texting one another. But at that point in history, we could know, we, we no, we I like I don't even remember how we met each other at places before we had the ability to tell each other where to be instantaneously. We used to have to make plans and stick to them. No longer. We can change our mind right up until the last minute. Third, is the like culture that we're in. You, you know what I mean. You, I like Facebook. I like Instagram. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Like. But when it becomes something that we, we use... Simply to see how much of a response we can elicit from one another, we need to be careful. I know that there are students, I know that even adults, who are posting things to social media just long enough to see what kind of response it gets before removing it because it didn't get the response they were hoping for. And this is leading us into it. We've always evaluated ourselves against one another, but I fear it's becoming far too easy. And I fear, I'm not supposed to fear, <laughs> but I wonder what the ramifications of that already are and will continue to be. There are resources to help push back against that which is happening to us. And, and I don't, I don't want to sit up here in front of you today... And, and, and just be like the, the guy who's getting older who's sitting on his couch complaining about how things used to be so much better than they are. But I do want to draw our attention to the reality in which we live. It's not all bad. Technological advances have always been a part of our world. Genesis 11 details the Tower of Babel, which is incredible. If you look at the Egyptian pyramids and what it took to construct those in the time and place in which they were done, incredible technological advances have occurred all throughout history. And it seems like they are becoming, um, they're escalating in depth and width, regularity. These advances are not to be completely resisted. Remember, we are called to this world to help shape it but not to be totally shaped by it. We are citizens of a different kingdom that is coming and has already begun to come. One of the uh, counters to this I will mention is actually an app, so I'm going to encourage you in another app in this sermon, but it's called the Dwell app. And it's come to my mind because of our text today that we dwell on these things that Paul is talking about. And the Dwell app is... It's a free app. You can, as anything, you can pay for upgrades. I get an email a week. One of my kids has upgraded something on the end. Anyway, Two ninety nine, dollars um, But it'll read Scripture to you, which is good. And it's investing that time in the text being read to us and over us. That's a good use, I think, a way to counter some of that which we are alternatively called to dwell on. But in an effort to illustrate this and to continue our thinking in this way, let's, let's, I think it can really help us to look at the verses preceding verse 8 in Philippians 4 and what Paul is, is saying here to his friends in Philippi. Starting in verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 again. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Worry versus caution. Let's think about this together for a moment. Being cautious is wise. I I need to wear sunscreen more than I do, I confess to you. My father had melanoma. And, and thankfully, it did not spread to his lymph nodes. What a blessing that was. For so many, it does. I need to wear more sunscreen for obvious reasons. We brush our teeth for obvious reasons. Flossing is not overkill. It is good practice. Caution is good. Worry is not. You know, I really missed y'all yesterday um, at the party here. We were out of town at a family wedding. My cousin Meg got married and we had a good time. It was in Alabama and we got home last night at 11 o'clock, which was parental malpractice. Our kids deserve hazard pay for being subjected to us. But it was fun to be with our family and to be around two coming together as one But it strikes me, weddings are fascinating to me. And I've been around a lot of them. I've had one of them myself. And there's so much stress around weddings. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be. I mean, I think there shouldn't be. But it's a time when everything seems to need to be perfect. And it stresses everybody out. And it seems to me it should be about this joyful (laughs) coming together of two of God's children. And it finally is celebratory when you're at the reception and everybody can take a deep breath, even the mother of the bride. And you can just be together. But leading up until then, it's hard. I saw anxiety abound yesterday. And I think worry always leads to anxiety. If we're anxious, we can be sure That we've been worrying. James Bryan Smith, an author I really like, says this about worry. It's a disproportionate level of concern based on an inappropriate measure of fear. Disproportionate level of concern based on an inappropriate measure of fear. Worry keeps me focused on my limited resources. Trust keeps my attention on God's abundant resources. The text says the thief comes to steal and destroy, but Jesus has come so that we might have life, abundant life at that. You know, to Paul's audience in Philippians 4, they would have understood that anxiety it was, was a common um, emotion in that, Society. It was a way of life for so many in the ancient world. So many gods and goddesses to appease and to keep track of. And the potential for these deities to come and to disrupt life was awaiting around every corner. Sounds a lot like our world today, actually. For Jesus followers, yes, there was no guarantee against suffering. In fact, many teachers taught to expect it, but there was blessed assurance, assurance that God is, in fact, in control and that all things ultimately would be redeemed. Indeed, the grand reclamation project that is going to make all things new has begun in Jesus. That's our reality as children of God. And we must remember it. Because think with me. How many news stories that you see in the first 20 minute block of the news. Or the first 4 to 24 stories on your news feed. How many of them are stories that give you joy and abundant life. Or cause you to rejoice. And here we have Paul saying to rejoice in the Lord. Always, I will say it again, rejoice. So what does it do to us to focus on all that is not good and beautiful? But we can't remove ourselves from the world. We've we've, we've covered that. But we are also to be the bearers of good in the world so that the world is less apt to put They're focused solely on the darkness that is around us, that which is untrue, that which is unholy, that which is impure, that which is ugly or that which is of ill repute. How are we to celebrate the creator with any regularity or any authenticity if we are constantly filling our minds with that which is ugly? I'm not telling you not to read the news. I'm not telling you not to be aware of what's going on around you. I'm not telling you not to use Facebook. I'm telling you to stay in the Word. I'm telling you to surround yourself with people who also know the truth and who are bold enough to remind you of it and who you are willing to look at them and remind them of it. I'm calling us to also fill our minds with good things. Jesus things so that the world can be filled with them as well. Because when I'm looking around with my honest bones, I don't know how otherwise the world is going to know it. It's just not. It's not there. It's there when the church puts it out there. And that's not just, oh, God should have done it differently. That's how God did it. That's the plan. So the response, whatever your response is to this half hour with me, is not to mosey out of here and go eat your ham sandwiches and think that was really fun. That was good. It was good to see Jimmy. We've Got to go do this. Or it's not going to happen. And if worry and anxiety is filling our hearts and minds, we are going to be utterly debilitated. And and I pray the Holy Spirit will find another way. I believe Scripture teaches us the Holy Spirit will. But the way Scripture says, first and foremost, this is to happen is through the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's us. That's us. I was with Scott McKnight this week, who is one of my favorite authors. It was an unreal opportunity to spend all morning with him. And we talked about Paul as the pastor, the, the apostle Paul. And Marilyn Robinson, one of my favorite authors, I just dropped two names right there in 10 seconds. That was incorrigible. Said this about pastors. That Scott, Scott McKnight reminded us of this. Pastors were the stu- are the stewards of ultimate things. And I believe that's true. The way that has shifted and is shifting is in this disciples-making-disciples-equipper language that we are trying to keep at the forefront of each other's minds. It's no longer just my job to teach the world about ultimate things. It's yours as well. It's yours as well. I was brokenhearted hearted. This week, last week to read the news of Pastor Jared Wilson, who was formerly from Nashville and had gone out to California to pastor, and he was quite a bit younger than me. He had done great things, written books. He was an advocate for mental health in the church and outside of the church, and he took his own life two weeks ago after years of his own battle with depression. And I'm convinced that so much of what contributes to the disease of mental illness is our inability to tell ourselves the truth and believe the truth and to help one another do so. That's not the extent of it, and I'm not a counselor or a doctor, but there is truth-telling that must go on between us, the family of God, to help one another continue to remember the things which are the ultimate things and not to keep focused on those things that lead to anxiety when i was teaching high school i had a student to i got a phone call one morning december 28th 2010 from the father of one of my players and i mean i'll never forget brent's words because he said to me i need you to come over brandon braxton has killed himself and i i was didn't know what to do. But I went. I went. And it, the next few days were just, I, I don't know what to say about them or how to characterize them. They were awful. And I remember the funeral. And I remember some of the most prophetic words I'd ever heard came from his Uncle Matt. You see, Braxton had gotten a few months before this happened, he had gotten a a haircut. Haircuts are important to us boys. And it was not a good haircut. And he went to his Uncle Matt and he was like, How's my haircut, Uncle Matt? And Uncle Matt, being the truth teller that he was, said, It's not a good haircut you're a good looking boy and it'll grow back but that's not a good haircut and Uncle Matt spoke at his funeral and he looked at the 600 kids that were sitting in that sanctuary and he said, whatever is going on with you and he pointed at every one of them he said, I promise you it's just a bad haircut. That's true for us who are in Christ. Whatever your news feed is trying to get you wrapped up in. Whatever the world is trying to trip you up on and cause your attention to get distracted with or to. Is nothing more. More. In the grand scheme of things, in the ultimate things, a bad haircut. It's important today. And every time you brush it, you're going to see that it's a bad haircut. But it's going to grow back. Jesus is not going anywhere. Please, church, with me. Let that be our reality in whatever is going on, because that can be the best, it is the best news for the world to see. And our news feeds and our television programs and our commercials and our nightly news are not telling that story. We must And if it's not the story that's in our minds and in our hearts, first and foremost, we're not going to tell it. And we must. Let's pray.